being quarantined in our homes, away from many, if not all, of our loved ones, is not a thing to celebrate. But it does afford us, despite real fears and discomfort, a great deal of time for meditation and reflection. Hopefully, God and Other Delicacies can be one of the ways in which you find a sliver of optimism in your day and the welcome warmth of connecting deeply with someone you've just met for the first time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Steve Hernandez to the show. Steve is a stand-up comedian and a prolific podcaster. He is the founder of Chatterbox Comedy Night in Covina, California, a hotbed of L.A. comedy that plays to packed, intimate crowds just east of L.A. on Sunday nights. He's been featured on Comedy Central's Corporate. He was a field reporter on I Love You, America with Sarah Silverman. And he co-hosts three podcasts, The Male Gaze, Views from the Vista, and the one where I found out about him, Who's Your God?, which he co-hosts with fellow comedian Amy Miller. I reached out to them through Instagram to invite them on the show. They were both kind and willing to do it, and I'm thrilled that Steve jumped in first. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thank you for having me, Nick. It's one of the things that's fun about doing a podcast is you start looking around at other people that are doing things that you're doing, and then I just start figuring out that I don't know what the hell's going on, man. So I figured out, like, Chatterbox sounds really amazing. I started reading an article from LA Weekly that was talking about how cool it is. The vibe I'm getting is that you've created a space that seems like a pretty welcoming and kind of like, I mean, I don't know if you want to say loving atmosphere of comedy, but it feels like a war really warm place and also a place where you all get to take a bunch of chances and have a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, I'm really proud of Chatterbox. Uh, we've had a bunch of write-ups. People love our show when they visit L.A. They like to come to our show. Covina, it's in Covina, California. It's a working-class place, so um, we've been doing it 10 years, and uh, you're going to get a bunch of just working-class people that are like regular people, but they're smart about comedy, too. So all they really ask of you is that you're being your authentic comedy self, and they'll give you a lot of love. Like in Los Angeles, because it's so industry, you don't get a chance for there to be a lot of like hot shows for things to really get cooking, just because there's so many people who are burnt out and would rather see themselves on stage and that kind of thing. Chatterbox is special because you, you can get something really cooking. Like it could get really hot at that place where uh, a momentum and a wave of comedy just starts to wash over you. It's like church. Yeah. So yeah. And cool. it's on Sunday nights, too. So Yeah, right, right. I love that. Yeah. Uh, just for me, like a wave of comedy, things getting hot. Yeah, we're, um, we're very strict about how we book. Uh, we have an open mic that's been going on for six years, too. So we breed our own kind of like chatterbox comedian, too. Do you know the difference between like alt comedy and club comedy? No. Oh, okay. There's a, uh, it doesn't really exist anymore, but it still kind of means something. Alternative comedy was uh, created in the 90s out of LA, like Patton Oswalt, people like that, uh, to be alternative to club comedy. Club comedy is kind of like, it, now it would be, you would be just what you think of the comedy store. So maybe Joe Rogan and those kind of people like that. I think alternative comedy could be a little more thoughtful, a little more personal. Uh, in the 90s, those things were drastically different. Now, the best comedians are both of those things put together. Right now, we call it in Los Angeles, we'll call it like East Side comedy, maybe. So on the East Side, and that's more alternative than to club. All that to say, Chatterbox is usually both of them put together. So they can appreciate a good club comedian, but they also like someone to, to be personal and open and that kind of thing, too. So what we do when we book the Chatterbox 
is there's seven comics. The last person does 20 minutes, and I really do a, a good job of looking at the lineup and putting everybody in the order that I believe, like, this is going to, we're going to catch something here. And so that's, you know, newer comics start at the beginning. But newer comics, that doesn't mean, sometimes the newer comics have the best sets because they've, you know, Chatterbox, they've been wanting to do this show for two years, and it's a huge deal for them. So they have this 10-minute set that where they're like, I want to bury whoever's on this stage. So sometimes we'll pop off early. But it's all set up so that by the time the end comes, the last three comics, you're ready to just have a just be washed away by the whole thing. So that's yeah. amazing, man. I should be clear. Like you sometimes make jokes about it. I, I was reading, and Covina is really not that far away from downtown LA. Well, I mean, it's like 25 <laughs> minutes, right? Yeah, but come on, nobody. If you if you're not from here, and even if you are from here, and you hear about Covina or West Covina, I mean, West Covina is the big joke in uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Right? Is that oh my god, that what is that place? But yeah, I'm from there. I live in Hollywood now. I live off of Melrose. But uh, I go back to Chatterbox for the Sunday night show. I bartend there on Thursdays and Fridays and, and help host the mi open mic on Thursdays, too. So it, to me, it's still like my it's not a big deal. But to be fair, too, it's a whole different people. It's a whole different group of people. So I'm talking to conservative people, especially because we have a lot. It's a strong Latino, a lot of Filipinos, Asians. So first, second generation. So very conservative people, too. But also it's like I feel like it's middle America in a lot of ways, which is good for me. I, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm queer, so a lot of my stuff I've been able to like figure out. It took me years to figure out how am I going to make this Mexican guy laugh at a gay joke uh, and him not feel gay? Wow! Like because that's that's one of the big. So I feel f truly blessed to, that I've been able to have that in the whole time I've been doing comedy. Because I come out to Hollywood, I know what make I know what makes them laugh there. I know what I can get away with in Hollywood. But to me, I'm like. A lot of times building my act for these people in Covina so I could take it on the road. And like I said, I know what I can get away with in Denver. Because Denver is very middle America, too. It's very middle of the road. But uh, being in Hollywood and around the, some of the best comics in the world helps keep you very sharp and smart. Because it's not just about... For me, it's not... Comedy's not about... It's so funny, too. I was uh, Me and my mom were talking. My mom's still a very strong evangelical Christian. And I remember one time she said, like, you know, Steve, you should be more clean. Like, you know, people like, you know, clean comedy, they need to laugh, too. And I said, Mom, I don't care if people laugh, which is the funniest thing for a com comic to say. Wow. But that's really my philosophy. I don't really I know that's the rules of stand up is that I, I have to make the people laugh. But I have these ideas that I'm trying to distill into a way where I know what the rules are. So I have to make them laugh or I'm not doing my job but I don't really care about that. To me, it's solving the puzzle of the jokes. And is it that my guess is by living by an ethos of not caring to get the laughs, you then make yourself a singular comedian in your own way and get more laughs? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I, and not to say that you probably don't say something that's like uh, incendiary or something at some point, but you're kind of also saying by being more my own self, my own artist at my own higher level... I then become a better artist, whether or not, because I'm not caring about their response, I get a better response. Yeah, and absolutely. And I also believe that the that we're all not that different. The more I'm myself, including all the details and everything, the more universal I am too. I don't, I don't know if how that's going to really fly. I mean, I'm not as successful as I'd like to be, but I feel pretty successful. I'm doing everything I want to be doing. I hope that that pays off uh, 
I guess financially. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope so too. But man. Uh, I'm, I'm do, but other. I mean, I am doing great. I couldn't be happier with the way things are going. Yeah, and it's the same way as a when I was a youth minister, pastor. I used to just tell stories about my life and talk about my own walk with God. And so, to me, it's just the same thing. It comes. It all comes from the exact same place. Well, that's a beautiful place for us to start jumping off. The first question that we got to get through is, "What'd you have for breakfast?" I just had a handful of blueberries. Can you believe that? I can, only because as I was talking to Steve about this when he arrived, I'm very well aware from other friends of mine that are comedians. I mean, you guys are just such night owls. You know, we're starting this at noon our time currently, but I know how you guys work, man. <laughs> you know, you guys are up till like two in the morning. Like if you're doing shows at the end of the night, your adrenaline is up high. You're, you're coming down. Even if you're not out, even if you're not even having drinks at the end of the night, your adrenaline is still high. You got to wind down. You're not in bed. You're not falling asleep till two, three in the morning. You know, then you're getting up. What, yeah, I, I can understand that you got up and you're like, oh, fuck, man, I got to get to the yeah, show. Yeah, ha handful of blueberries. <laughs> was on Twitter for like an hour. A uh, handful of blueberries, and then I, I came here. Um, yeah, the earliest I do my podcasts are noon, so I, I feel sure. fine. But this, to me, is, I think, what, like 9 a.m. to most people or something like that, where it's like, all right, let's get the day going. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I feel fine. So one handful of blueberries, and you well, were nice enough to give me this cup of coffee, so I'm going to be great. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I'm glad that, uh, that I at least that I get to give you your first cup of coffee today. That's a big deal. Yeah, man, good. Well, I have a little boy, as the listeners know, and I'm up fucking early. All right, man. So uh, you you referenced some of this stuff with your with your referencing your mom's religious background. So how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Um, we moved to West Covina from uh, Highland Park when I was about five years old. And my mom did, I remember going to like, my mom would go to Bible studies when we lived in like Lincoln Heights, Highland Park, and then we would uh, like draw pictures and stuff like that. But I remember truly one of the neighbors, when I was like six or seven years old, took us to the church that I ended up being a pastor at. It's called Faith Community in West Covina. And it wasn't a mega church yet. It ended up becoming a mega church. It was like 500, 600 people at the time. And uh, she took us to vacation Bible school. So VBS. And I think at some point, I don't know how... She got my mom to go, but she got my mom to go to that church, too. So probably seven, eight years old. Just as someone who was raised Catholic and not evangelical, what defines a megachurch? Like, at what point does a church make a jump? Is it like a sheer number? Or I, is think there like a, a, I think the technical number might even be a thousand. So okay. not like um, not as big as this church. You know, this church, when I left it, I think was at 13 or 14,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's 13. To, so how many at one service? Um, there would be a few services, so the sanctuary fit, I believe, 2,800. So there'd that be a few enormous. on Sunday and then one on uh, Saturday night and then a Wednesday, so that kind of thing, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there's a devotion in you as a young child and as a young man. Do you want to talk about your devotion and your sure. relationship to your faith as a young man and maybe what that meant in your family? I also don't know if you have siblings yet. Like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. I have a, No, I uh, was definitely... My whole family got involved. I have a younger brother who's um, a hairdresser. He's famous. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's only a year younger than me. He did just did Charlize's uh, hair for the Oscars. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's like really great. Wow, congrats. Uh, he's a him. year younger than me. We have a younger sister. I have an older brother. And then we lived with our dad who was like alcoholic and abusive until we were like, until I was like 10 or 11. And then um, he stopped drinking and then he was just bad to my mom, just verbally and real messed up ways like that. But uh, I have a good relationship with him now and I have a good relationship with my mom. Um, at the time, though, it was mostly my mom and us going to church. 
I think I fell in love with the structure of it. I fell in love with the Bible a lot. Like, I love the Word of God. I, I still love that now. It helped me come out. Our pastor had, like, a earned PhD in Bible stuff, so he was able to look at the Word and, like, teach these messages. So it kind of taught me to fall in love with the written Word and how you could read something and come up with ideas and everything. I mean, it's really built me to be a, a stand-up comic in a lot of ways. But I, I well, love. I want to hear more about that. At yeah, some I love point, the idea of justice. I really do. I think I think I love that more than actual real love. With uh, I, I think if you're talking about real love, that's a very hard and difficult thing. But justice, like I love judging people, and I love like right and wrong, and then people who are getting their just desserts in both ways. I mean, I love all that. I think it's probably one of the worst things about being a human being. That's a terrible thing. I think the older I get, the more I understand that the, the idea of what's fair and just might be something that's really holding us back as a species because we don't understand it at all. And we think we understand it. Uh, but I think that might be the real reason that got me into it, especially as a little kid. So there's a, you enjoyed the righteousness. Oh, of yeah. Like, but oh, yeah. what you're saying, just so I, I make sure I understand what you're saying is, you don't think that's a good streak in you now. Like you're, you've worked to to move away from your love of self righteousness or something. Yes, uh, and but you still struggle with it. Um, Is that what you're referencing? Or yeah, or you I've, just, got, or I've you... gotten better and better okay. throughout yeah. the years. I, I don't even know if that's that's how much. I mean, I do know that when I'm talking with my girlfriend about like our friends or like trying to figure out interpersonal things, that it always comes back to like I don't, we don't really understand what's happening with people a lot of times. But I mean, even the Bible, Christ talks about, he has multiple parables talking about we don't understand what fair is. I mean, mm. he has three or four or five of them where he said, where he said, hey, I understand what fair is, even though it looks like this person is, uh, has gotten a bunch of things or doesn't have enough, I've given them exactly what they're supposed to be given. You have no right to judge these things. And, you know, Jesus talks about no judging, but I, I still think it's just something that's huge in us all the time. And I, it, must be, it must be how our brains are made or something. But I think it's not, I don't think it's good, ultimately. Yeah. Oh, that's great. With the judging... I'm interested to know more about what your journey is with this. I, you're talking about something that's clearly really important to you, and I like hearing what you're saying, and I, I just want to know more. So when do you think you started recognizing there's a little too much judgment in this environment, and I want to be less judgmental, I want to love the word in a different way? I mean, the, the official reason about why I got out of uh, ministering and stuff is at the time I'd started to drink some, and I was having sex with my girlfriend, and I just felt like, I also felt like I was pretty young, too young to be doing what I was doing. How old were you? Uh, 23. And I was in charge of all the student ministries. So I was over the college class, the high school class. We had a junior high pastor, but I mean, we were going like pretty full thought. We had like a big budget and I, we like huge events doing it all the time. And I like, I knew there was a lot wrong with me. Like I had a lot of sin in my life and I just didn't want to be the kind of like minister that got caught doing something. I really, I quit because I felt like God wanted me to quit. The church asked me to not come back for a year, and this is the church that I grew up with, which makes sense to me if church is a business, and a church like that is a business. I know some Christians would get mad to hear that, but I've never judged that part of it in any way. It's just like I understand that there's a lot of money being coming in through there. At that time, I think they were making, I don't know, $125,000, dollars a week. That the church was? Yeah, yeah. In offering and stuff. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. Wow. And, I, you know, I don't, I, we could get deep into that. I don't think you want to, but 
I understand it's that they asked me to not come back because I had so much influence there. If they weren't hiring me, then they was like, we don't have any control over this guy. He can do whatever he wants. So I, I didn't want to be there, a place that didn't want me to be there, but I kind of spun out after that. Okay. That's yes. an amazing story that I want to get more on. And cool. that seems really important, but just a couple of more like basic stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. kind of know what to do later. So you, shit, I'm looking at the time. This is a great time to take a break. I'm going to formulate this next jump off period right after we come back. Right, everybody, we're back with Steve Hernandez. Steve, I wanted to hear how you got into your youth ministry position before you end up, you know, getting out of it. Um, I grew up in that church, so as I was growing up, the church was growing and growing. I think maybe my junior year in high school or something like that, uh, they hired a, a guy named Jim Hayford, who um, kind of took over the student ministries. I mentioned that earlier. When I graduated high school for a year, I was going to go in the military. My parents didn't talk to me about college. I was, like, pretty smart. I was a senior class president and everything. I just didn't know what to, I was going to just go to the Army or something. But uh, that didn't pan out. I was too fat by, like, five pounds. I, and I was, like, 100 pounds lighter than I am now. You're a senior class president? Yeah, yeah. The Army wouldn't take a senior I, class no, president? Yeah, and I, I was really, like, five pounds. I was, like, I was literally, like, 80 pounds lighter than I am now. I was the wrestling captain. And my guy, we went, I went to swear in, and the guy was just like, I just can't. He's like three pounds too much. And my guy was yelling. And then uh, he's like, well, we'll give it a shot in a couple months. And in that time, I went to help out with the youth ministries as like um, like an adult volunteer at the Navajo Indian Reservation to put on a VBS. And one of the guy's dads there had this big prophecy over me that said, Steve, I think God's going to use you in all these crazy ways. And so I was like, that felt right to me. And so I was like, okay. Pretty soon after that, Jim Hayford decided to start an internship program for the youth ministries based on a lot of the purpose-driven stuff out of the Rick Warren's church. That's like a pretty big deal if you know evangelical stuff. And so uh, we flew to Willow Creek in Chicago, saw this thing, and then I was an intern for a year, became the junior high minister for a year after that, became the high school minister for a year after that, and then Jim left after that. And I kind of, so I just kept moving up the ranks. It was okay at first because I had somebody over me, but the last year and a half or so, I was like the guy. So what's interesting to me about this is, you know, you're a devout young guy. You're kind of throwing it off. Like I was just going to join the army, but what does it mean that you, one of your just easy access points into what you should do is just join the army? Like you have some sort of is it patriotism or was it just you were seeing it around you a well, lot? You know, I was very uh, like a, you know, I was a conservative guy. You know, I was a Christian. I, I don't think I was naturally conservative, but at the time, that's what I was brought up to. And all that righteousness we talked about earlier, I really got off on that. I, I wanted to be, a, you know, I wanted to be a cop too. You right, know? save the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All be that goodness. Stuff. And that's all like if you look into psychology stuff, I think a lot of like the, the abusive or the abused home I came from, I, I was just kind of the hero child or whatever. Real basic psychology stuff. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I my dad was in the military. It seemed like the smart, like, 
it just seemed like the way the thing to do. My parents, like I said, they didn't talk uh, about college or anything, so I didn't really. The, a teacher maybe was what I thought I could be. I just didn't have any idea about how the world worked. So then you get this experience where it's kind of like God is bringing has a plan for you, yes. and it's not the plan you think it is right yeah. now. And, and oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, yeah, but uh, it kind of is that. I mean, feeds into the exact same thing. You know, it's like oh, I didn't get in the army, but God, you know, of the universe wants to use you now, and it's like yeah, this is it. Baby. Right. <laughs> so it's youth ministry, yeah. and you think that's the right thing, that's the righteous thing. Yes. And then you hit the wall that you talk about, where you're like, "No, look, I." As you referenced at the time, you would have you used words like, "I had a lot of sin in my life." Yeah. You did the right thing by the church by getting out of the way. Where we left off on that story is that you said you you spun out. Does that mean you have never gone back to that church? I don't. I I think I've never gone back to that church. Maybe I've gone to a service or two or something. I did, uh, after a while, I'm divorced now, but when I was married, we went to All Saints Episcopalian Church in Pasadena for a little while. Did you? So you married after that point? Oh, yeah, like 10 years after. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, went, I spun out, and then I was, like, working at a liquor store for a while, but then eventually I got into, like, uh, I worked at TGI Fridays for five years. I'm a bartender now, so just real restaurant bartending stuff. And so I partied. I had a good time. I got married. And then a couple of years into my marriage, I um, started doing stand-up. And then oh, wow. that was the end of my marriage. <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> um, and then you, do you, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about it, but is it mainly just because you had to give your life over to an entirely different beast? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we didn't stand a chance. Well, and my wife was so young. We were young when we got married, but she had a, like, she had a plan. I mean, she was 23 years old, but she had a plan, like, to do it like this. And so right, we, family. We and- yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I was always pretty a wide open book and crazy and everything, but yeah, and that was fine because it would just happen at parties or whatever. But then once once I found stand up, it was like, you know, uh, being a, in the ministry for me, it was a calling, and I didn't think I would ever have that feeling again. And then a couple of things went wrong with the school. I went back to school. I was supposed to get this class, and I had a friend who was doing stand up. We went to see a show, and. I couldn't do the summer class, and so I uh, I was like, well, I, I guess I'll just do go with him to open mics for the summer. I was that kind of a pastor. That's the kind of teacher I was. I was real funny and personal. I was like, I, I guess it would just be like do it without, without Bible stuff, so I, I'll give it a shot. And so I went with him all that summer, and it just ruined my life because for the second time in my life, I felt like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. My wife was very like on target all the time, and she said, "You know, I I don't want you to be this. I don't think I could be with someone who doesn't have a, a college education." And I was like, "Well, I understand if you feel that way, but I have to do this." And and we didn't get divorced or anything because of that, but it was just the the beginning of the end. And she, like I said, she's a very private person. She tried her best, but when I pictured when we pictured what we each wanted out of life, and at the end of life. Uh, we both had our different lives. They were so different looking that it was like we'd be crazy to stay together. So it was really sad because we both loved each other, but it's good we're not together anymore. So you obviously, despite all of the pain, sadness, you kind of reference ruined my life, which means obviously doesn't mean you ruined your life because you found a new calling that you love more deeply. It's just once again, you just shattered whatever you had before. So is that kind of like what journey you're on right now, man? Is that like... What you referenced is, if I'm hearing you correctly, is two different life threshold points. One is leaving the evangelical ministry and the church. 
And the next is leaving your marriage ultimately in favor of this higher calling, which is comedy. Where this goes, we don't know, but you're doing something clearly for a reason. How long have you been on that journey? I've been doing comedy almost 10 years. And to be fair, you know, I've got a lot of sex jokes, okay? So I don't want you guys thinking uh, I'm Christ here in any way, all right? Well, uh, no, also, I mean, I also, I'm interested to know, if you don't mind talking about it, when you reference that you're queer, like, is there a discovery about sex? There's a, clearly you do a sex, po a sex positive podcast you talked about, yeah. right? which is the male gaze. Yeah. And you reference yourself as queer. You were married yeah. in a heterosexual marriage. So there's a lot of dynamism in your sex life and in your thoughts. There's clearly an openness and a free form thing going on. I'm interested to hear you talk about these things. If you want to talk about them or share with us what some of these things mean. Yeah. Um, to answer your first question, this is the second journey. I feel as correct in my life as I've ever felt right now. I stopped drinking about 15 months ago. Oh, wow. So I've, I've been sober for 15 months. Yeah, man. I just I feel sharp as hell right now. I don't have this huge desire to be on stage. I get on stage. I do it. I'm good at it. And I love writing jokes. I love the puzzle solving of it. But I'm also like, uh, I'm still like a pastor. So what we've created over at the Chatterbox now, which I wouldn't have ever thought this would be a thing, is I have like a crew of young people that are Chatterbox comedians. And so to me, a, a big part of my journey is to help these people. I might not make it. I might be a little too weird or queer or something, which I, I don't think is the case really. But I do feel like helping these people in comedy and creating a space for Latinos and queer people is like a, a huge part of what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if I'll be successful, but I do feel like uh, I can break down a lot of walls for people younger than me. So That's rad. Yeah. You were going to an Episcopalian church with your wife. Yeah. Was that mostly for her benefit at the time? Were you, was it something that was just like kind of a bridge from the evangelical world to where you're at now? Are you, or would you say you're out of any church practice? Oh right yeah, now? I'm definitely out of a church practice. I don't, I don't remember why we started going, but I, I mean, I still, I don't believe in a God, like uh, in, in any being, uh, like there's a being or anything, but I really do love God still. Uh, I think God might be, when I say God, I think it might be the structure of our universe in a way we don't understand. I think that thing might be love. You know, Interstellar talks about that stuff. Yeah, have you seen Interstellar? I think so, right? Is that the Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I saw it. It talks one. about it in a real dopey way, which uh, we just saw Arrival. I have a movie podcast too, so I think I'll think about movies too. Yeah, that's but, views from the Vista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in uh, Arrival too, I think we don't understand time or distance. We understand that molecules are something we can't see. I think there's other dimensions we don't understand. But all that to say, I have no problem saying I love God, and that thing uh, is probably love and forgiveness and the, the higher callings and things. I don't think God judges us. It's one of the, the things I, I figured out when I quit going to church. I read up on a lot of things, and um, universalism makes a lot of sense to me. If there is a God, there's no hell. I mean, the Bible says that God is the best father. There's No father would send their kids to eternal damnation, so I don't believe that. And I do believe that God gives us something to do every day and that many of us just don't do that thing. I think it's probably a small thing too. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but a lot of times for me, God will tell me exactly what he wants me to do the next day. And it's very small, simple things. But if we do the things God tells us to do, I think that will be fulfilled. Like what? What's a small, simple thing? Well, for me, I like have to exercise. I have to hit open mics. I have to spend time with friends. Uh, that sounds like, I mean, that's like nothing, right? But everything in me every day does not want to do those things. Huh. Uh, 
You're that introverted? No, no, I'm extra. I'm super extroverted, but it's easy to just do whatever's the easiest. Right. So for me, yeah, all those things, I guess I'm just not that disciplined in a lot of ways. When you think about, do you have any desire to write? Are you a writer? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself a writer in that I haven't really put anything out, but I've written a script with a friend of mine and I, I've started to discover, you know, sort of the show is in some ways kind of writing for me uh, because I'm formulating stories in ways. And so that these are the things that I'm exploring. Yeah. But, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a writer, but you know, you, maybe it's in your heart, something in you to say like, well, I should sit down for one half an hour a day, yeah. but you just can't do it. Sure. Those though, are the I things see what I'm you're talking saying. about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yes, yes. I feel that sense of God and that sense of where I get my jokes from is the same place I used to get my sermons from. I, I used to call that thing, the Holy spirit. I, I don't call it that anymore, but it's, it comes from the exact same place. So, right. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. How is your family structured with religion right now? Are your parents still together? My parents are still together. My dad only brings up God when it's convenient. Uh, my mom is super like a crazy. She believes she's a prophet. Uh, she's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's just wrong because it's like, uh, it's so funny. She knows that I am so sex positive and everything like that. I don't know if she knows the extent. She, for a long time, she would always ask me to like show her how to listen to my podcast. I think she figured it out. A lot of my jokes are about sex and about uh, that kind of stuff. I, I try. And, I, I don't think it comes from a crude place, and I don't think it really comes off that way. It's more fun and silly, I think. But um, she does know sex is like, a big deal to me. And it's not even a big deal to me to do. I just think it's really interesting. So a lot of these things, I'm non-monogamous. And even in my marriage, we were polyamorous and open and all these things. But back then I did it really bad. And I was the worst idea of when you think of a poly person, I was the gross worst. I was just shady and still trying to get away with things. Now I say I'm non-monogamous, but I'm just like so in love with my girlfriend. I feel so bad because it's like, I'm never going to be able to date anyone if I keep posting all these pics of her on Instagram. Uh <laughs> Can I? Yeah, you can. So you're you're dating someone now. Oh yeah. Can I? I'm just pleading ignorance on this. When you define yourself as queer, yeah, that means in this context for you, it means polyamorous. Uh, it means I don't know gender I, this open. Is, yeah, this is what I don't know if. Um, because I might be just like behind the times. I've been like in a fucking house raising a little baby yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like <laughs> trying to catch up to this shit and I'm like just not, you know? And I think people use the term queer because it kind of covers a lot of bases. And that's what I kind of do too. I, um, since I've been sober, I haven't had sex with guys, but even then I'd have sex with men, I don't know, a few times a year. I have a joke. I say a few times a year, about as often as I have Little Caesar's pizza. <laughs> and for the same reason, I forget what it tastes like. Uh, <laughs> but I've never been in a romantic relationship with a man, a and I don't look at men, and I don't, I'm not like, so I feel I have a hard time calling myself bi, but I do like to have sex with guys. I haven't had sex with a guy since I've been sober, even though I've had a couple of nice guys that I probably would want to. It's just... Uh, having sex or in kissing and stuff sober as an adult is the craziest thing in the oh. world for the first time with all that stuff. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's bonkers to have sex. I mean, you, I did it in high school, but a lot of people, if you think about it, you know, you have to have at least a couple of glasses of wine before you make out with someone new or something. It's just bizarre to move your body forward without nothing. Like I guess we're supposed to just smash faces now. So I haven't had sex with a guy since I've been sober. Um, it does include relationship and gender stuff for me. To me, it's like I'm just don't play by anybody's rules. That's what I mean when I say queer. So, 
yeah, non-monogamy is important to me, but only because I, I just think people and relationships are so interesting. And I like to be able to have a relationship with a person and let that thing land wherever it lands. If that's just, we're just friends, but if we feel something, I would like to be able to kiss you or to touch you. Sex, like I said, isn't that big of, I've had so much sex in my life. It like doesn't really matter that much to me, but I do think it's, it's interesting to do with somebody you care about. Yeah, that's really interesting, man. It's a world that's completely unknown to me. I'm yeah, not, if you're not set up like this, I I mean, that's even what I was saying earlier, it's easier just to f have a partner and to get married. And especially if you have those kind of goals, which I think most people do. Um, my sister, who I love and adore, and she's a, a big fan of mine. She's married. She has two kids. She's a stay-at-home mom. I'm glad she's happy. Yeah. And that's great. I tried that kind of life. I'm just not happy that way. And so this kind of life makes me happy. It's really interesting. I don't I don't know if we'll have kids. I know when once you have kids, they become the priority. So you can't really have these ideas, but I don't know. Maybe you can. I mean, I, I can't see why having these ideas would cut you off from having children. You would just have a new dynamic of family life that's unorthodox to many of us that aren't polyamorous in their yeah. raising their kids. But, you know, I mean, I mean, on a very basic level, it's very common to have single gender households, right? Two, two men, two women raising children. Like, why wouldn't you move on from there to other things? It could just be whatever, as long as you're seeing love in the house. And I hope my girlfriend's this, hearing this stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll lift this part out of the edit for you specifically. No, no, I'm just And you can just yeah, drop yeah. it on her phone yeah, someday. Yeah, just, yeah, drop it on her. You hearing this? It could be normal, because she is absolutely not this way. Okay. So it's something that we talk about and communicate and work with and through the whole time, all the time, so. Yeah, I mean, it seems really um, complicated to me. Yeah. Uh, because I, but I know that for me, I'm, I am, uh, I think I would be very vulnerable. I just think I would be too vulnerable. Yeah. I think I would feel, oh, I think I'd probably get jealous. And I feel, I would think I would, I don't have a framework in my sexuality to try to understand how to share those intimacies. It's like such a part of my wife and I that we're, our relationship is so dedicated to each other that, and also, I mean, again, I don't think it necessarily has to be this way because I, the world is so, I keep using the word dynamic, but it, it can be whatever you want it to be as long as, as long as you're happy. But I can't imagine sharing the responsibilities that she and I do, even just with one child, it's an immense amount of work. And part of what keeps that bond together is our shared intimacy and our vulnerabilities that are shared only between us, that's like part of the glue that yeah. keeps us sort of going, it's between me, it's you and me doing it. And you're the only one ever getting any of this stuff because you're the only one I want this stuff from. That's like, that helps bond us through these difficult times. But I mean, I can imagine things being more well, no, group oriented. Everything you're saying though, too, is like, yeah, that's why my girlfriend doesn't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I understand. I mean, you know, it's, it's even as, is like, if I'm going to go on a date with someone and it gets easier by the the more I do it too for my girlfriend. But is whatever joy I'm going to get out of this or happiness is it worth the pain or worry it's going to cause her? It's the big debate. I mean, I don't as someone who identifies as non monogamous or poly, or I don't think polyamorous people are non monogamous people. I don't think they're very. In my opinion, they're honest about how complicated these things can be. Like I said, when I'm leaving the house, I'm like, geez, is this being loving if I'm going to cause her pain for like this time or if it comes up? What's the balance of that? Because the pain she's receiving isn't, in my opinion, I'm like, 
this comes from a lot of weird fear and stuff that has nothing to do with me. So that's something I think you would benefit from working through. But if my my girlfriend, because I don't see us breaking up anytime soon, if she decides to date somebody in five years, I mean, I'm gonna. It's not gonna be easy for me either. Like if she, if I walk her, watch her walk out the door, being beautiful and sexy, and whatever happens, happens. For those four hours, it's not like I'm gonna be jamming. Like, oh, this is the greatest thing. Part of me might be. Part of me would be happy because I do understand that the longer you're with someone, there's some kind of like sexual pleasure and just spark and stuff that I I can't give her. This initial stuff that's just gone, and I don't want her to like. Be, I'm the last time that that she experienced that. There's no reason for that. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's like there's stuff I can't. A first kiss and stuff, uh, feeling uh, sexually attractive in a way that I can't make her just because love is so involved. I mean, the Bible talks about when two people get together and they love each other, they become one. Uh, are they? You know, we know that when you love someone, they become your family. But people don't necessarily want to fuck their family, you right. know. And that that's why. I think if you're not very cautious, if you're not very aware of it, that sex dies in, in monogamous committed relationships. Even in my relationships, we've been f- together five years, and it's a constant active choice to be, we have to have sex two or three times this week. We have to make, I have to make myself, and my girlfriend's hot, and I love her to death, and I think she's beautiful and everything too, but it's also like we know each other's bodies, but it's like exercise where... It's like exercise in a good way, too, because once you get started, you're like, damn, I should be doing this all the time. For sure, man. <laughs> but the be- but making yourself, you have to make yourself. Right. And that feeling where you don't have to make yourself, where you just crazy want to kiss someone and stuff like that, that's such a cool, unique feeling. I don't want, for my girlfriend and for myself, I don't want us to be the last time we feel those things either. So it's a lot of back and forth. I mean, we talk every time I go on a date. You know, I've seen someone now. It's been a few months, so it gets easier and easier. It's one person. Uh, but, you know, if I get back from a thing, we'll have to sit down and talk for an hour. I mean, they call that. What do they call that in? Uh, I forget what they call it in polyamory stuff. But it's like a decompression time where it's like, okay, how you feeling? Is that that's okay? How was your thing? And then she feels okay. Yeah. And after an hour, if she didn't feel okay, I don't know what would happen. I don't believe in like ultimatums or anything but i really do believe after so many years i believe this is how i am and so i've told her even i tell her listen this might not work you and i might not work but i do think you have i i know her she's like a real rock and roll cool like outsider thinking chick so i'm like i i do think you have what it takes to make this work so let's give it a shot because for the longest time i wasn't this way i didn't trust myself or uh, going into our relationship, we've been together five years. I was open on Polly. This is what I was telling her, but I just never really did it. And I got to the place after a year of not drinking where I was like, I think I want to do that again. I think that's a part of who I am and I'm not being shady and I don't want to take advantage of you or anybody I would date. Uh, it wouldn't be somebody who's just giving me lip service that they're going to fall in love and it's going to become a mess. I mean, I know now how particular I am with someone like, okay, they're very okay with me having someone who's my partner and uh, they're respected and then I'm not even going to fall in love in a real crazy way. That's such a rare thing to find. So I'm lucky that I found this person who I care about deeply and everything, but I'm scared. I would have told you before, I told her before, I'm afraid to fall in love 
I said I told her before I want to fall in love two more two or three more times in my life because it's such a cool thing. But now everything's going so good with her and I. I'm like, nah, keep that away from me, man. Because falling in love is like drugs. It's the worst thing in the world. Oh, for sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world. So I'm afraid of that. So, like I said, I'm keeping. I'm very particular about who I would date at this present moment. Maybe I want to fall in love again, but uh, we'll see. Okay, that's a wonderful place to take a break. We'll be right back for the last segment. We're back with the final segment with Steve Hernandez. So Steve, that was an amazing story. I learned so much. It's like, I love this stuff, man. Uh, (laughs) Well, I I do love podcasting for this reason. Oh, yeah. You get to meet people you would never meet. Totally. Or even in LA, I know that, especially with comics and stuff, you just won't see people forever that you want to see. So it's like, this is a scheduled time and people will just show up for it. So it's it's, it's a lot easier than asking someone for coffee that you don't know. Because we don't know each other. How else are we going to know? But you're like, hey, come do my podcast. I'm like, sure, you're a stranger. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. And you get to, and you get, and then those people get to meet your friends and the people that listen to your show, you know? Um, that's really cool. I, I wanted to ask two things. One is that I want to talk about what is it in you that I don't want to oversimplify, but it's there's this part of you that has spoken multiple times about not wanting to lose these high points in life, not wanting to lose that moment of falling in love with somebody for the first time or the first kiss or the first time you actually have sex or all that stuff, right? And that's part of what it seems to me what you're saying, what polyamorous relationships are about is about finding that balance between having the consistent love in your life of a, of a relationship of a companion but also not keeping something from yourself as as beautiful as that first moment when you have electric sparks with somebody and being able to follow it but i have one question which is did you always have this in you for a long time was this stuff that you had to suppress or you had questions about this when you were very young because you have this protracted period of time as a young guy growing up in this particular environment where you're getting introduced to all these particularly conservative values. And here you are. I mean, it doesn't sound to me like this is just a a reaction to those conservative things. This is a, a bubbling up of who you really are over a long period of time. Is this stuff that started to, that you can now look back in retrospect and go, oh yeah, these are the things that we're trying to get out that I didn't know how to put words to as a young guy? I think it was always there. I know I was, it's so funny, before I had sex, I remember telling all my friends, all, and I was in youth group and stuff, and telling them, you can't, you gotta save for marriage, you gotta do that. And the first chance I got to have sex, I took that chance. <laughs> the first <laughs> chance I took it. So I've never been, I've always been pretty bad about that kind of stuff. Uh, I think things with, with guys, I remember, um, that when I first started to do it, it would be like, this is before the internet, kind of. Or, like, I got on the internet pretty late, like 2006 or something like that. Mm. But uh, it would be phone lines. And I, I think I just want to, I don't, you know, I, if you believe, you don't believe in astrology stuff at all. My girlfriend has a huge astrology thing. I'm not a big believer, <laughs> yeah. but this show has taught me to be a better listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about it necessarily, but my girlfriend has a huge astrology podcast called What's Your Sign? Cool. I, I have. Knowing your three things, that's your sun, your moon, and your rising signs. If you know those three things about a person, you could kind of guess how they would be. Most people, when they say their sign, they'll say their sun sign. So I'm an Aries or this thing. But if you know those, your big three, it could kind of tell you how you are as a person. And if you were to look at my big three, it would say that I'm very like sexual and voracious and like 
what you're talking about is, I, I think I just like, I know that there's not going to be any heaven or anything like that. I think that we live here on this planet to try to take advantage of the highs as much. Now, I think I've done it too much with drinking and drugs and group sex and all this crazy stuff. So I'm trying to swing it back. Being sober now, I feel like I can figure out the balance of those two between being a healthy person and then taking chances. And then um, when you see those things, to grab hold of them. I think God is in those things a lot of times. I also think he is in the discipline and the everyday things as well. So mm. uh, the finding that balance is where you'll find God and be in the right place. But yeah, I do think, you know, with monogamy and a lot of the things, constraints we have on each other and on our lives. Like when I was married in Polly, I tried to like, I was, like I said, I would like try to talk to people into it, but now I'm like, ah, who cares? I don't care. But you'll meet people where you're like, oh, you're like me. You're one of us. It's almost like, I don't want to compare it to being gay or anything like that because I think it's not that. But also you just know one of yours when you see one. Hmm. And it's like, cool. But there's been other times, like I think having a spark with someone, chemistry, real chemistry with someone. I mean, you probably encounter it more because you're an actor and uh, you get to touch people and you get to go inside in a place so you'll feel that more because you're in touch with those things. But as a regular person, I, I think it's comes. It's so few and far between to have someone that you have chemistry with. So to me, it's like, like to me, I think it happens every other year. And I bartend and I'm a comedian. I meet a ton of people in it. It was every other year or something. I would be like, man, it'd be real nice to be able to just even go to lunch or coffee with someone like this, a member of the opposite sex. If you're in most relationships, you can't even do that. Right. Yeah. There's a, but what you're saying is not just lunch, but like to go to lunch almost as if you're starting a relationship though. Yeah. That's you want to let yourself go, not just to lunch, to have like a respectful lunch with a friend. Yeah. You want to not hold yourself. You don't want to hide some of your there amorous is. feelings. That's the thing right there. I don't want to You want to be it. able to say like, hey, I'm at lunch with you. I want you to know I have a very loving relationship with my girlfriend. I just want you to know you're fucking beautiful and I'm yes. so happy to be here. Absolutely. And if I could, I would just, let's maybe we could. Let's just go or, make or, out. But, but to me, yeah, yeah. I guess I would want to make out based on those things. But to me, it's based on if we like each other and all those other right, things. Right, 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 right. I didn't but want everything, to But everything you said is exactly right. Yeah, why couldn't we just be whatever it's going to be? Yeah. And to me, it is about you struck on something that I forgot is like the, one of the most important things is just being honest and telling the truth. Those things are like very, because like, I could cheat on my girlfriend. I would get more women if I cheated on my girlfriend because there's plenty of Latinas in Covina that don't mind being a side chick, but I don't like any of that stuff. It doesn't, yeah. I don't like any of that stuff, but I do like being honest. So even like I said, I don't know how non-monogamous I, I can really be because I love my girlfriend so much and I post about her. If you guys follow me on Instagram, it, I post about her all the time. People love it. And uh, I'm just like, man, this poor girls I date, they're going to just see me posting on my girlfriend the whole What's time. What's your handle? Throw your handle. Uh, oh, it's at hernia. I'll put that down but in yeah, the yeah, description. Yeah. It's, I mean, she's featured prominently. So, so much so as though when people meet her, they're like, oh my God, I know you from Instagram, like that kind of thing. Yeah, I just like to be honest. And with my girlfriend, I like to be honest that, oh, I, I like that woman. I would love, I would like to kiss her or we really click. I'm going to go spend some time with her. Like I said, I don't know how many people are open to this. So it's not like I'm doing this all the time and I, I'm over converting anybody. But I do think the more, I do think the more successful I get in comedy and in everything, 
I mean, all I care about doing this stuff is is to really meet more interesting people and to to like do any of that. I'm just not driven by money or things at all. And because I don't have any kids, I don't really have to think about it that much. But so to me, the more famous I can get and more successful I can get in comedy, the more interesting people I'll be able to meet. And the more I'll be able to talk to this on a higher level and then meet more people, like I just said, that are more like me. Because I do think... We're getting to the place relationship-wise. I do think monogamy works for a lot of people, but I do think they're not conscious about going into it. I think it's like a given a lot of times. And so then when your partner is attracted to someone, that like you can't talk about it. And then you end up closing yourself off to a lot of ways from your partner even. So I'm cool if you you allow yourself to be, if you guys choose to be monogamous, but that your partner can be honest and say, oh man, there's this person at work, I'm really struggling, I really like them. And then the person's like, oh yeah, of course you are. That makes perfect sense. So to me, all of this is about being honest and open. So you can choose monogamy if you want, but just at least allow your partner to be human and to feel these things they feel. And maybe you don't allow them to act them out, but you know, let's be honest with each other about what we're really dealing with. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's clear that honesty really lit you up in this conversation. I mean, I don't want to be like too knuckleheaded about trying to, about wrapping this thing back to God, but like in the same way that you talked about your comedy comes from the same place that God used to come from or the Holy Spirit used to come from. Is honesty kind of the message that is a similar message that you used to feel like you were living when you were living the Christian way, the right, when you felt like you were living it the right way? Do you feel like honesty is that same kind of positive feedback for you? Um, I just think that I just don't like to lie. It makes me feel bad. And also, it's so funny, when I used to be a Christian, I think a lot of Christians will tell you this too, is that they really love Jesus, and then the God of the Old Testament, they're kind of, they have trouble with, because he's so mean and killer and all that stuff like that. But the older I get, the more I actually dislike Jesus more, and I love God of the Old Testament. Jesus is just so corny, and he like, it's like, give me a break, bro. You love everybody? Like, give me a break. Mm. I don't buy it. But God of the Old Testament, he kind of murders people when he feels like murdering, when he doesn't like him. But when he likes someone, like he loved King David. And uh, King David was a, a murderer and an adulterer. But David, like God, it says he's a man after God's own heart. Like God loved him because David fucking went after life. And to me, I think... To me, if there is a God, or what the Bible says, or how I understand it, is that I think God really wants, if he gave us this life, he wants us to go after it as hard as possible, and so he, so that God could be like, man, that's an interesting little guy there. Like, I like that little guy. He's not doing anything that there everybody else is telling. He's doing exactly what he feels to do, that he's supposed to do. And uh, so to me, it's like when I'm living this way, when I'm being as honest with my partners and, and I'm loving and responsible and I'm watching out for people, trust me. And I'm watching out for my girlfriend. There's times when I want to go do something. I'm like, she, she needs me to be with her right now. So it's this isn't just about me. I'm trying to conduct myself in a loving manner. But also... If I'm going after life this hard, that when it's all done and said, I, I think that God would be happy with who I am. And I don't know, I don't believe in a God like that, but there is this ideal about how to live. You know, I, I don't think we have anything after this or we don't know what it is. So it's like, man, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I like take a bite out of the thing, you know, out of life? Why wouldn't I? Rad. Okay. So what's, what's the future you talked about with your ex-wife? Where are you at right now? The little things that I've caught. 
you're starting to love discipline a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I, I think I just need to. Yeah. Uh, you guys can't see me. I'm fat. I'm beautiful, but I'm fat. He's gorgeous. So yeah. He's <laughs> so, not that fat. So I've got to, you, you <laughs> think I'm not just because I'm so good looking, but I am. <laughs> I've got to get to a place where for me, food, and I, I, I'm starting to, I think I'm starting a new podcast about this, but it's not just food. It's got to be something else too. But um, for me, it's like, that's the last thing for me. I don't drink anymore. I've got all my sex stuff under control. So for me, I've got to figure out how, how do I stop this last compulsion? This thing that probably started when I was very young. You know, I, I have memories being seven or eight, especially being from an abused home where I just want to change the way I feel, so I'm going to put something in my mouth, that kind of a thing. Mm. So I've got to I've got to deal with that, um, and I, I think that's that's a really big one for me. But I don't know, comedically, I'm on track uh, because my girlfriend's so wonderful and allowing me to explore this stuff. Uh, you know, I'm there are people in my life and. I'm just coming up with interesting jokes. Uh, it's it's funny too because I used to be a lot about sex, but like since I've stopped drinking, I'm not even writing about that stuff anymore, which is good for my career. <laughs> oh right, I could put together a nice TV set and everything. You know, you could kill in a room, but it's like Comedy Central is like, we know you're hilarious. I we do not know what to do. We can't sell this on TV. Yeah. So it's like, all right, well, I got to figure it out. Since I've stopped drinking, my jokes have are becoming sillier and goofier. Not having anything to do with sex, I still have this art of sex jokes that I can bring out at any time. But uh, I, mean, I feel like you're referencing it's like I want you to tell a few uh, of them right uh, now. No, I mean, no. You, you'll see me at some point. Yeah, good, good, me. good. I got a good one. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I'm great. So uh, <laughs> I have no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so yeah, everything's, I'm really happy with my relationship. Couldn't be happy. I've never been happier in my whole life. So all I know is that I feel like, like I said, like God's put this food stuff in front of me. I've got to figure out some way to conquer that and to, to look at it in a way so that. I don't know because food is so different than the other things too. Because you eat it every, you need. Yeah, to eat it you every know my day. my family battles this. Yeah. Uh, members of my family battle it. It's so tough, man. I mean, exactly. You need to eat to survive. Yeah. I mean, how many fucking drugs out there do you need to survive? <laughs> if you got an addiction to this, it's like real difficult to tell yourself to just only eat what you're supposed to. Yeah, that's my real next thing to tackle. But uh, I, I do think I can, and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm positive about that whole thing. But never been happier. Uh, everything's going really great. Okay, you have three podcasts. You're talking about a fourth. Yeah. Now I just want to know which, I mean, I can't ask you which one's your favorite. I guess right now what I want to know is, how the hell do you keep them all going, man? I mean, that's a lot of talking. That's a lot of hanging out with, that's a lot of scheduling. Well, I mean, I just do, like a straight up a ton of scheduling, scheduling, dude. Like you're worst. running Chatterbox. Yeah. You're scheduling just co-hosts for your shows. I yeah. mean, I know what it's like to schedule this one show. It's a lot. You just, once you get on, once you get on a thing, I think one thing that I'm very good at too is I really am good at producing things. My network of people just keeps growing and yeah, growing. And, cool. and it's actually the reason why I want to start more podcasts. And I'll probably just start producing them as well mm. uh, for other people. Because I, there's people I meet and I'm like, oh, I want to plug you into something. Mm. And uh, the things don't exist so often. So I got to create them a lot of times. But yeah, you just, once you get... To me, the reason why I podcast is I like working with the co-host. Those people are like, I want to see you every week. If there's people like that and you can keep it going for a year, it'll just keep trucking. So I've been doing a, my movie one for almost four years. The other one a year, Amy's two years. Yeah, I have one more in me, like I said, but that's it after that, man. Okay, I got a little bit more time with Steve. And a question I occasionally get to is what things bring you the most hope and what things can send you into the deepest despair? Um, it's so funny with all this politics and the political system going on. 
I think that probably brings me like the biggest despair. And as someone who works at a bar and who sees people, and it's just like, I feel that people just will naturally kind of do the easiest thing that benefits them the most. And that kind of bums me out overall. You would like to think that it kind of tips the other way, but I, I do think it naturally kind of tips the that way where people are ambivalent or they they won't go vote. Like, it's crazy to me that the, the people in Michigan, like, just don't go vote. Like, young people. Yeah, it, it's just bonkers to me that you... And, and I know a lot of it is they just don't care. They just don't know. So that really bums me out. Uh, you know, comedy comedy gives me the greatest hope. It, it is so interesting, stand-up comedy. If you keep doing it a lot, you'll get better, no matter who you are. And it's so crazy to watch somebody who's legitimately a terrible comedian and watch them after two years and three years and then they become funny. I think it is. it just speaks to how life works and everything where it's like, and it's one of those few places where you can actually see it. I remember this guy, Stephen Moreno, who's one of my good friends now. I remember him starting comedy. And for the first year and a half, I was like, I wish this guy would just quit. This guy's terrible. He doesn't understand. But something oftentimes clicks and um, they become good. And now this is a guy who, when he goes up, you run in the room and you say, what's he going to say? This wow. is, I cannot wait. And so I think that I think that's life. I think a lot of times that... Even people that come from bad places, like my parents don't know anything. Uh, if, if it wasn't, the church saved my life in a lot of ways, falling in love with the Bible and the Word of God and structure and understanding these ideas and things. If I didn't go to church, I don't know what kind of a person I would be. I'd probably be a cop or in the army or something still, but it just opened my mind in such a crazy way. My parents come from nothing. I come from nothing. I'm uh, 40 years old, 41 years old now, and I just in the past year feel like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. I was always plugging away and doing things and trying my best. But now that I'm not drinking, now that I have all this comedy experience, all this life experience, it took me this long to be like, oh, I think I could make something of life. And that's what comedy and life and all of that reminds me of, is that it just takes, if you just keep plugging away, that something could just click in you and then you could figure it out. And it could be like, I think everything's going to be okay. And I think to me, that's, that, that gives me the most hope out of everything. This is a fucking beautiful interview, man. <laughs> I love this. You're a total stranger to me. Thanks for walking in here, man, and just sharing so openly and um, teaching me about a lot of cool stuff and having a really beautiful outlook on life and sharing just a ton of positivity, man. I, cool, man. I really Thank appreciate you for it. Me. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>